Yes, here we are, another episode of Keel Conversations. My name is Mark Champagne, and it is my job to unpack the stories and mental fitness practices of people living at the top of their game, personally and professionally. So today I'm talking with Saw. He is just a ball of awesome energy, and he comes from a life where early in the early days he, he really struggled with anxiety and depression and that but that fueled a lifelong fascination with personal transformation and we really dive into that he's super passionate about researching and integrating the intersection of ancient wisdom and modern science and again he comes from his background is is probably not what you would expect. I mean, he started a magazine, uh, was really into the kind of arts and fashion and 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 celebrity life, let's say, and all of that came kind of crashing down with a lot of these mental health related issues he was going through, and formed, I, I would say, who he is today because it pushed him into a whole other path and other journey. And now he's leveraging that to really help others live a, a full life and, and a great life. So I'm really excited to share this. Before hitting play, I just want to make one note, and that is this episode and the entire podcast is really brought to you by Keo, which is our daily mental fitness app and as you know all of these incredible people end up in app to help you with your daily reflection so take it for a spin it's in the apple app store all you have to search is kyo and if you're enjoying this leave us a review wherever you're listening those go a long way but most importantly have the absolute best day yet That's a loaded question. <laughs> um, well, I think right now I am someone who's helping people with the lessons that I've learned and with a method called transformational coaching. Easier to talk about as a life coaching, but I have my own method, which it's a bridge between integrative nutrition and contemplative psychotherapy. Okay. And I also uh, teach people how to meditate. Love it. But I think most importantly is who I'm not. You know what I mean? Uh, I think who I'm not allows the room for me to, to be someone new every day, to be a better iteration of myself every day. Because um, I used to be so anxious, acutely depressed, bipolar, you know, just yeah. gossip queen. And I, there was no room to like really uh, come out of that and really do something outside of the norm. Um, so, yeah. I love, so there's two things I really love about what you said there. And, and one is who you are right now, which to me, you know, sparks the the idea that that's always changing or evolving. And then second, um, yeah, it's the first first time someone said, you know, who I am not, which which is really powerful. And I'd love to kind of kick off there because I know a little bit about your story, but you know how how has that evolved? Why don't we just just to back up a bit? Why don't we talk a little bit about your journey and, okay. and you know, where you've been and kind of where you are now? Yeah, uh, thank you for this, by the way. Um, yeah, it's um, I'm 
give you, I'll, you know, I'm trying to condense as much as possible. It's kind of a long sure. story. <laughs> sure. Yeah, <laughs> pack, it all, yeah. pack your life in, in, in one minute. <laughs> exactly. Maybe two minutes. Um, well, I moved to the States. Our family moved to the States when I was 16 to Florida and, you know, go on, went to like an all white high school in a really wealthy neighborhood and we moved here as immigrants. So we were having like immigrant jobs. And I was 16. I was just like, what the fuck? Yeah. Mind you, back in Brazil, we were like upper middle class, uh, but we were living in upper class, uh, you know, kind of lifestyle just because okay. of family and grandparents and the whole, you know, the whole community. Uh, so it was a lot of show off, but the reality is there was a lot of crumbling um, inside. <laughs> And I think a lot of people can relate to that narrative yeah. in their families, you know. Um, so moving to America, working as a as an immigrant job, like cleaning houses and construction when I was 16 and discovering myself, you know, sexually was really hard because my parents didn't have the vocabulary at all. And um, and being in Florida, oh, my God, being like the only kind of like brown body in a class. It was a little bit like, whoa. And you think that because of the amount of immigrants uh, to Florida, well, the school is a little different. Okay. So I have a lot to, a lot of learning that came from being in Florida. You know, retrospect is like, wow, a lot of learning. But throughout the process, just a lot of reinforced trauma from being in Florida. And then the moment I could, I left Florida, moved to Los Angeles when I was 19. In LA, I was driving around this celebrity interior designer who was a drag queen. And so I was really like excited about that. You know, I could explore myself. I could wear makeup. I could be fabulous. I was, we were going to celebrity parties all the time, but it was, he was picking fights all the time, which was also something that I was intrigued by, uh, <laughs> that his business was around creating these uh, celebrity gossips and things. And I was just like, wow, this is so there's so much friction here, but it's so sparkly, you know? So I'm into it. Sure. I'm into it. <laughs> and um, fast forward to when I was 23, I um, moved to New York. I mean, I moved to New York when I was 21. And, I, and then I started this magazine called Bullet Magazine when I was 23. And it just took off, you know? I feel like the New York fashion media market was really hungry for something like that. It was a bridge between like the face if you're a fashion person, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The face yeah. uh, meets uh, dazed and confused, meets ID and a little bit of vice in there. And we, you know, started in my studio apartment right here in East Village. Oh my God, this is so long ago. And, <laughs> and it just took off. We had Cindy Crawford on the first issue and we had Vuitton and Chanel as advertisers in perpetuity. We, had, we were very well funded which gave us a lot of room to play. Fast forward four years later, um, I overheard a conversation in, about my, from my business partners that they wanted to buy me out because I wanted to go digital and I wanted to keep the integrity of the magazine away from the Kardashian world. And don't get me wrong, I know um, that the Kardashians are very sweet, amazing people, but I just think that when you have that kind of a platform and you don't talk about mental health and you don't talk about the human condition, yeah. Uh, as a priority, you're missing the point of having stardom. But anyways, that's just my ignorant perspective, right? Uh, but they wanted to go in that direction. I was just kind of pulling back and I was really wanting to connect with big leaders in the dig digital world to really f go in that direction. This is 2012. Okay. Um, and then anyways, I overhear this conversation. I felt this like overwhelming sense of betrayal. And then 
I had already been depressed once. This is when I was just moved to Florida. But that's a much longer story um, for the, from that perspective, for that sure. little nugget of what that was. And then depression kicked in full power when I overheard this conversation. And I walked into my business partner's office and I said, please buy me out. I'm getting out of here. And I went on a trip um, after that. I went to Berlin. And in Berlin, I... Um, heard this these vocabularies like fundraising for an NGO in Tibet, healing, mm. transformation, um, you know, processing your feelings. You could be who you want to be. Uh, it's okay to be yourself sure. and swimming in a sacred river, drinking hygienic <laughs> medicine, having a guru. I'm like, what the fuck is all this? Who are you people? Mind <laughs> you, I'm, at, I'm, at, I'm in Berlin in Carlsberg, which is this like, you know, Bushwick kind of neighborhood, if you comparing to New York, right? To associate with the New York scene. Okay. And I'm sitting around a breakfast table with these girls who have more armpit hair than I did, with more <laughs> creases than I could ever imagine that could be possible. And I'm just so intrigued by these people. I'm so curious, but the conversation threw me off so much that I had to get out of the table and go for a walk. I was like, oh my <laughs> God, what is going on here? So during that walk, it, things just started to land. It was like a landing, 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 landing. Da, 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 da. You know, you when you have these moments, these aha moments, you feel like your brain is growing. Physiologically, it actually is. But, you know, there's a psychological response to it that you actually feel like your whole body, like, you know, this expansion, this rigidity, this psychological rigidity going like, woof, you know. Yeah. Um, so that's what happened in Berlin. And then came back to the States. I... Um, was still experiencing these, you know, ab and flows of, of feeling really paralyzed by, by um, these thoughts. And how were you managing that at that time? Pot, alcohol, okay. cigarettes, uh, buying things. You know, I had money. So I was just like, let's go here. Let's go there. And, um, and then you really realize that the nagging pain in my chest was still there. You know, and I had gone for so many x-rays for it, which is the funny thing, Mark. I was like, I'd be like, I know I have a tumor in my chest. Just tell me. <laughs> I know I have cancer, lung cancer, because I've been smoking since I was 13. I know that. But they were like, no, honey, you're good. <laughs> so it wow. wouldn't click, you know, until I started to do the research and realized, wow, it's anxiety. It's a depressive um, outburst that really shows up in this somatic way where my chest feels tight and then it's this you know, pain. Hmm. And I started to write about, about all of this. I started to, to blog and get really curious about it. And it was, we were talking about sustainability, good politics, plant-based lifestyle, yoga, meditation, uh, equality, all the things that I wanted to see in one place from like reading about the largest vertical farm in the world in Singapore to like meditation helps boost uh, productivity to, you know, um, LGBT rights in Australia, like the scope, the website was a, a variety of all this. It was very beautifully designed. So within four months of that platform, within six months of having that platform, we had, um, within the first four months, it was kind of like, whoa, this is insane. And towards the last two months was when things just like kicked off to a next level. Uh, we had over 2.5 million unique visitors on that platform wow. and stores were getting like reblogged over like 
25,000 times. And I'm like, oh my God, there's a real need for this. So we met with an investor and he asked me for a business plan, but I showed up to the meeting. I was still not in alignment with the things that I was talking about. I was just talking about it from a place of like skepticism and curiosity. Okay. And um, we were asked to design this business plan. I never followed through with it. I had this, you know, it was like part of me really wanted it. Part of me was like, eh, 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 you know, I wish you could see what I'm doing right now. But it was just like this, you know, hold back. I was being held back by the universe or by myself, really. And throughout that process of having the investor meeting and whatever, I um, get an email from a lawyer from Oracle. And they were like, okay, honey, you got to give us this name because you're overpopulating Google. <laughs> I was like, all right, fuck it. This is the sign I've been waiting for. So that's when I really listened to the signs of the universe to, you know, I really finally heard that inner voice that was like, Sah, it's time to go do the work. And it was so, it was like a whisper. And all of a sudden it's like, Sah, go do it. There's no way. Yeah. You know, you're not going to get through it anymore. And that's when I went to India and fast forward uh, spring 2014 to uh, summer 2016, I was in pilgrimage, doing the work, meeting with teachers, scientists, and just hopping around from ashram to monastery to community. And uh, here I am now. That's the condensed version. How long was that? <laughs> I don't know. But it, it was amazing. It's um, There's so much there that I would love to unpack because, I mean, I feel like you know, you're obviously living, I, I saw a couple of quotes from you where you, you kind of described the world that you were living as just fabulous on the outside, essentially, right? And I'm thinking about when you're probably in LA and then moving to New York and starting Bullet. Mm -hmm. But then obviously the, you know, the, the inside was just probably slowly or compounding over time in, in terms of like deconstructing essentially yeah. until you, until you hit that wall. But now you know, you've gone through this, this, this journey and mm -hmm. it's like these two worlds are, are somewhat combining. So I, I'd, I'd love to chat about like how, because you even said it yourself, you, at first you were, you're, you were the skeptic, but you were, you're curious, right. Mm -hmm. And bringing these practices and this, this language and the, the, the topics um, to, to the rest of the world in your work now, like how, 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 how has that experience before all that with bullet and, and the life you're living before helped in that journey? I mean, so much, right? Because I think that, you know, utilizing beauty as an entry point to spirituality, which can be kind of boring things out there. You know, people in a spiritual world take themselves way too serious, you know, and it could always be in this like lilac and really like, subtle colors and very like okay namaste all the time but that's just one part of who we are you know sure. and i think the bullet piece and being you know the creative director of an international media company and having you know traveled the world and met you know everyone from macaulay calkin to elizabeth olsen to forel you know you really get exposed to you know what is it like for people who are in that massive public eye and then i always ended up finding myself talking about these these things mm -hmm. you know these real things and i didn't have the vocabulary that i have now of course but i was i would always find myself speaking about you know the matters of the heart and my struggles and bringing a sense of a sense of play 
And, but it wasn't like that because when I was, it wasn't completely like this. When I journeyed into India and I was in that pilgrimage mode, I was very serious. I was like bare feet in all white, like don't, you know, I was, and I realized later that I was just spiritually bypassing uh, and in this avoidance, uh, complacent state where I wasn't really meeting all parts of myself with compassion. I was sort of too goal oriented and less journey oriented, regardless if I was like meditating for hours a day and living with these masters, you know? Yeah. Uh, so the bullet piece has allowed me now to then deliver these really hard topics, which is mental health and the human psyche and the human condition in a really practical, simple, digestible, and most importantly, fun way because humor is a language, is a universal language, right? We can all have a laugh about how fucked up we are, you know? (laughs) And from living with these masters, one thing that one of my teachers has said is like, gauge the level of enlightenment of a teacher by how much, how much uh, she or he can laugh at themselves or at the, you know, what they're experiencing, because it's so miraculous that we're here. You and I are talking right now and uh, you know, it's just there's there's the the cosmic giggle that we have to uh, welcome into our lives more in a daily basis in order for us to to shift perspective, even if it, even if it's just two inches, you know, from what it was before. Love that, and I love the cosmic giggle. Uh, it's, I've, I've never heard that before. That's it's great. Ramdas. It's Ramdas. Uh, he's he's the master that's giving me that, that piece. Love it. You talked a little bit too earlier about the signs, right? And, and that, that inner, that intuition as, as many describe it, mm-hmm. it sounds like as, as your journey was unfolding, it was just getting louder and louder until it, to, to your point, it was kind of right there. It wasn't that subtle whisper anymore. It was go yeah. do this, right? Or yeah, I think that was exactly. with, the, with the lawyer and Oracle and whatnot. Yeah. But what, what do you think, was there anything that was helping that voice become louder? Like were there practices or was it just literally yes, just your, yes, your, your journey yes, unfolding? Yes. Thank you so much for this question. This, for everyone listening to this, this is the catalyst. This is the conduit for transformation. This exact question mark. Thank you for, for this. Um, it, there were the practices. I was already eating cleaner. I wasn't smoking as much pot or drinking. I wasn't watching as much shitty TV or listening to bad music. I was meditating for five minutes. I was already running, you know, I was giving myself, I was reading these books, these, you know, getting to know myself from another perspective, you know, I was opening these doorways to these enlightened people who were Mm. speaking about these different topics, you know? Yeah. And I was seeking help. I was, I was, I'm a very curious person by nature. Um, and I was just very curious. I would reach out to people and just say, hey, this is what's going on. Um, I don't know what to do. Um, everyone around me is kind of gearing me towards the, um, the traditional route. And I know that that's not for me. You know, especially because when I was 16 years old, my mom, when I was experiencing the first outburst of depression, my mom took me to a doctor to read the iris of my eye. Oh, wow. And the doctor gave me a, a, a cocktail of herbs and that was magic. It changed. The, the, it was, it re it redesigned my nervous system and balanced my, my, you know, I have a genetic predisposition for suicide because of my grandmother. Okay. And, Cause she committed suicide when my mom was 13. 
But to go back to your point, I, that the practices were there. There were, there weren't, you know, how it is now, um, the discipline now, but I was doing a little bit every day. I was chipping away every day. So, you know, a good thing to, to think about, it's like we have this garden in our minds, right? This huge garden, this open field. And the majority of the time, the field is covered in weeds, you know, and you could be, you know, I was in the detox, retox mindset, which I would go out, do a bump of Coke and wake up the next morning, go to a spinning class and drink a green juice and, and <laughs> like, oh, I'm good. I'm yeah. good. Let's go. You know, sure. but, so I was never so in the garden. I was just throwing seeds on top of the weeds. So nothing, this, this new seeds wanted to grow, but the weeds would cover them down. So when, when I was doing the little practice, I was actually going to the garden and, and weeding out, you know, weeding out this, the, the, the weeds. And at some point I bought a, a low lawn mower and I went in there, you know, yeah. not literally, but metaphorically, I went in there and I just said, you know, I got to clean this shit. Yeah. That's when the pilgrimage started. That's when the real transform in, inner revolution begun. But yeah. that question is the, is really the conduit for transformation is like, because there's a part of us that's all knowing. There's a part of us that even the work of Dan Siegel as a neuroscientist talks about us being in the, in the rim, dropping into the hub, the hub, that part of us, the heart, the essence is all knowing. Uh, there's a part of us that isn't experiencing suffering, even when all of us, even when we think all of who we are is, you know, mm-hmm. and that's what that voice is. And I don't really speak about intuition so much anymore. I just say the heart language because um, there's some research that shows that intuition is just the connection of the vagus nerve and the microbiome uh, firing together and sending a message to the brain. Interesting. We're going to look that up. Yeah. So this isn't a later. I'm, I'm, I love having a Google alert for all these topics. So when the new research comes up, I'm like, yes, what's going on? You know what I mean? So every Friday I get a, um, a you know, a Google sends me an email with all these great jobs. So that's something out there for you guys who are nerdy and want to get really curious about doing this or, you know, wanting to be, to really know what's up, set up a Google alert for all the topics that you're interested in, you know, microbiome, gut health, brain health, uh, neuroscience, neuroplasticity, epigenetics, you know, even circadian rhythm and all the things that you're interested in to just to land, right? We need that aspect. I think as when we grow up in the West, our brains are wired with that need for evidence in the East is much more like this feels good. All right. Yeah. It's so interesting because even, even with us, with Keo, so uh, you haven't met him, but the other, uh, the other half of this business marriage, uh, my partner and actually brother-in-law, mm-hmm. Sine, is originally from India. And uh, it's funny, like, but he grew up, uh, he grew up in Dubai and, and spent, has spent a lot of time here in, in Canada. And as we're mm-hmm. launching this and talking mm-hmm. to all these people and, you know, being exposed to so many different mindsets and practices, he's like, yeah. my God, like I used to do this with my grandmother, like this isn't new, but you know, over here, I know. it's brand new, right? It's like this revolution on, on these mental fitness activities. And, and like you said, the herb herbs and all of this stuff, right? Yeah. So I wanted to ask you, you know, when you spent that time, in monasteries and these these longer retreats you know how have like what did you want to bring back to the west and how have you done that in a way that you know doesn't shut the door down in, at the very beginning in terms of like language and and just scaring people away with what's happening on the other side of the world mm. well it was never the plan to be a spiritual teacher 
it was never the plan to be a meditation teacher. The plan was to just like, I was either going to commit suicide or I was going to heal, you wow. know? Yeah. So I was, it was like, a, you know, it sounds such a cliche, but it was a life or death uh, situation. You know, I really needed to like do the work. So I, I went in just like, show me. And as I walked into my very first retreat in Dharamshala in the north of India, in the foothills of the Himalayas, um, I had already read about the Himalayas, Him- Himalayas, I don't know however you say it. Um, it's into, you know, these mystics, these saints have all been there and meditated in these caves. And I was just like, wow, so interested in all this. Uh, and when I arrived, my first teacher, who, who was actually, uh, she's from Canada. Hmm. She's been a Tibetan Buddhist nun for 25 years. Just the way she looked at me, it changed everything. Wow. Literally. It was just that look of like, you're good, honey. You're safe. Yeah. You can make amends with your past. Your past does not define who you are. Unconditional love. So my internal landscape went mm-hmm. quiet. I was like, oh, did you just like drug me? What's up? Is this what they do? Is this what a, <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? I wasn't, I wasn't. I didn't really ask so much about it, to be honest. I was just like, wow, this is it. And then we did a death meditation for three days in a row. And the physiologic response I had to simply meditating on death, 80 people, literally, no bullshit here, got sick. Wow. Physiologically sick. Like, literally, we were all having all kinds of, of, of illnesses the next day. So we had three days of that. It was like, first day, you are aware that you're going to die. Second day, you are on your deathbed and everyone who loves around you. And third day, the flickering of the candle goes off and you go. And just what that was to experience that, I had never meditated on death. Although we're all going to die and we're dying right now, you know what I mean? As we speak, we're getting closer and closer to, to that change. But I had never gone to that place. So this was the first 10-day retreat. Wow. And then I was like, oh, my God, this is very, very real. So imagine having been holding on to remorse and to guilt and to shame and to anger and to, um, um, you know, this not ability to forgive the people who have done fucked me over in the past, you know. And all of a sudden it dissolved. I'm like, oh, my God, there's real. This is real, real, real. This is the real, real stuff that I've been looking for. Yeah. And I was just determined from that point on to like go through it. Three days. That is, I, I can't even fathom that because uh, our mutual connection, uh, Sasha, from, from yes. every man, I mean, there's a part in their, their men's retreat where I think we spent about maybe two hours on that very topic where they, you know, Dan leads us through basically building us up to our perfect life and then uh-huh. snap of the fingers you just find out you're dying that day and you know what's left and the question is what's left unsaid and i've never i've never had an experience like that in my life um like in terms of the emotions and then also connecting with everyone around you that's going through that and helping them through that. So I can't, and that, that was, like I said, maybe a two hour experience that literally, <laughs> yeah. you know, changed my <laughs> whole perspective on a lot of different things. So three days, like, yeah, wow. very heavy, very yeah. heavy, very heavy. Like, wow. You know, 
Yeah, I'm actually in the process of recording a death meditation because I think we should all, and, and Alan Watts talks about this all the time. He's like, one thing we all need to do is meditate on death because we forget that like, it's a miracle that we have another day. You know, one thing I do every single morning is just a gratitude practice. Yeah. Like, wow, I'm here again. You know, opening up my eyes with this like, <sighs> curiosity and excitement and grace because I have one more day here to, to do life, to, to be a better person, to serve the community, to have a laugh, you know, to explore myself. So it was very heavy and, but it was a starting point to the, to the, to the transformation, you know, to what that would lead to later me then going to a 30 day meditation retreat in Nepal and losing my shit completely, like having a complete psychotic outbreak during retreat. Really? And, and packing my bags and walking up to the gate and be like, bye, bitch. I'm over this shit. I'm going to hike. The, I'm going to hike Everest because this is what I really came here to do. <laughs> and I'm over this. But I didn't. That voice again, that part of me, the all knowing part of me was like, Sah, come back. You're good. You're safe, honey. Come back. So I laid down. I took the, the afternoon off from teachings and I. I bought a, 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 a Coke at the cafe and a, a, a box of Oreos. I know, so funny that you're in Nepal <laughs> at a monastery and this is what they serve at the cafe, right? Yeah. But that's what I needed at that point. And I gave myself that. I ate a whole box of Oreos. <laughs> I drank that whole bottle of Coke looking out on the most beautiful mountain range in the world, you know, while being like, you know, in my full gear from Patagonia and just being like, what's up? Wow, real life, real shit. Okay. I literally had thought that my whole family had died. Straight up. Wow. Completely. <laughs> but so much so that I broke I broke into a fear at two in the afternoon. Okay. Into a fever. That's what I meant to say. Holy smokes. Full fever. Full fever at two in the afternoon. Yeah. So was that just just going through the motions of the of the different practices they were running you through? Like, how did they, I mean, I'd imagine you're exactly. probably the only one that would experience such, you know, real. No, some guys try to commit suicide. It was, oh. it's, a, it's a bit like who puts themselves through 30 days of meditation. Uh, and 90% of the time you're in silence in Nepal with the living saint, you know, yeah. there's 250 people who start and 180 people finished. And I don't blame them because this is really, um, it's a hardcore thing. And I also don't blame them, but I also recommend this to everybody. It's at Kopan Monastery in Kathmandu, Nepal. It's a 30-day course that happens every year. And some of the most prolific teachers have all done this course. Um, Buddhists, neuroscientists, you know, contemplatives of our time have all passed by Hi, over there. They've done the course. And you have a living saint who teaches you for 10 days. Mm -hmm. But during the 10 days that he's teaching, you're only eating once a day, which then it's like, okay, you really put to the task of like, all right, can you really get subtle, subtle, subtle to really feel the sweat, you know, leaving the neck of the, your, your neck and going all the way to, to, you know, to the, you know, I was going to say your crack, but really it's that yeah. you know, like dr dripping down to the very edge like, can you get, can you really feel all the sensations of that? That's, that's what you acquire okay. when you are so clean uh, mentally and, uh, and physically, you know? 
Any advice on, because I remember, I remember listening to a podcast, I think it was Tim Ferriss that was talking about this and he recently did a, I think a 10 day silent retreat and had a, a pretty wild experience. And yeah. one of his learning was that, you know, it's not for everyone and, and to make sure like it can either set you free yeah. or, you know, he said, you know, if you didn't have the right person there, it feels like he would have came out of that just a disaster. So, is there any any recommendations since you've gone through a few of these for people to, you know, think about before committing to something like this or any preparation? Yes. Good question. Great question. I mean, this is what we talk about in, um, in trauma therapy all the time. It's like, you can't do the inner work alone. You know, you have to have someone there who's pulling you out when you start to spiral out. Otherwise, you're just reinforcing the trauma and you're re-traumatizing yourself. So that's what that was. It was that moment, you know, that I lost my shit and I seeked out help. And I didn't care that we're in silence. I just like, I need to talk to somebody. So I, I paid a monk to let me use the phone and I talked to my family and they're like, you're good. But to answer your question, um, I mean, you really have to... You can't be... Here's the thing. What I always tell people is like, you can't be... You can't be so far away from the, the platform and to use the, the metaphor of the platform, like you can't be so far out that you can't even see that there's a platform, that there's a, a potential for change, you know, mm-hmm. and be going to a retreat. You have to have already, you know, been at the platform a couple of times. You have to know what that is, what that feels like, you know, to have this objective space between your feelings and thoughts, just a glimpse of that enough for you to know when you go in there, you're going to be bombarded with the chaos of the human mind. Um, but you also have the opportunity to tap into your essence. So I think you have to take it easy. And if by like this, the third day, you're just like, I don't, I mean, I'm not the right person to, to really give exp- because I'm, I think the the rigorous part of it is what really gets you to ride the edge, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think it, it's a, it's a very, uh, you just got to feel it out. You know, it's a very personal experience, but go into it, see what it's like, talk to the teacher, but you can't go in there with the chronic anxiety and having, uh, and, and being on, on all kinds of, uh, antidepressant medications. You know, you have to have already done a little bit of work on your own with your therapist, with your team, to then step into that space. Sure. Yeah. Don't, don't run the marathon before, you know, running a 10 K or something. Exactly. Thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, that's helpful. Thank, thank you for sharing that because I, a lot of people are talking about this and, and, and I'm personally curious as well. And having gone through, we talked a little bit about the, the men's retreats, the first time I've ever done something like that. And uh, it's, it's opened my mind up to a whole other avenue of, of, thought, I guess you could say, or, or inner work. So mm. just want to make sure people have, you know, some good insight uh, from people that have done this. Yeah. And start small, like take one day in silence. Sure. You know, just commit to one day in silence or, you know, what you can do even better. You can commit to one day, 24 hours of you not judging yourself or anybody else that would change everything for you. And each time you start to judge yourself, you shift the intention and you say, may I be happy? And may you be happy. When you are walking down the street and all of a sudden you're like, I don't like her dress. He smells bad. Oh, what's her hair? Because that's what happens, right? The chatter going full power. And you just shift that to say, may I be happy? May she be happy? May he be happy? That little 
cognitive reframe, that will be your beginning to a retreat. You know, you start to dissolve these old hypnotic thinking patterns. Then you can come home and just like turn everything off and say, I'm going to just be here, you know, be here and give yourself a moment of silence, a day of silence, perhaps, or mm-hmm. go stay with a couple of friends and commit to being in silence and, um, you know, find what works for you. You know what I mean? I'm the kind of person why I need the extreme to go, to go to the neck, to go to the, to go to the edge, you know? Sure. But that isn't for everybody. No, no, of course. But I, I mean, the, your examples are, are, are perfect because I, I, I've, I've done that once and it, 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 I think it will shock many people how much we are actually judging on a, on a daily basis. It's, uh, it's almost overwhelming when you start paying attention to it. It's like, man, am I that horrible of a person? Yeah. Right? So, uh, that's a great you're one. You're not. That's you're not. Thing. You're not. That's the thing. You're not. It's just the mind doing its thing. Yeah. You know, it's like thoughts are thinking themselves, even if you want to or not, it's an involuntary process, honey. You just got to become the witness. It's got to witness. And then there's the heart pool, right? Then you're living from that, that, that space that's beneath the thinking, the thinking process. Mm-hmm. And then it's, at first I was scared of that. I was like, what else is there to talk about? If you're not gossiping or judging or talking shit or making fun of people, I was very scared of that. I was like, this is my identity, you know? Yeah. Um, but then when I shifted and I realized that, oh my God, there's, there's a world out there of creativity, of, you know, compassion to talk about, to go deep into it, to discover. But the judgment piece, the comparing and competing narrative stories that are being reinforced in our minds and hearts every day, notice how much of that is playing out. You know, the double C is what keeps us looped in spiral all the time. Yeah, it's it's all about it's, it's all about noticing, and and I find uh, even coming down this journey uh, myself, uh, you know, I've journaled for 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 many years, but starting Keo has been a whole other, you know, level of of, of arsenal. Let's say in this this inner work, just you know, simp- this is a perfect example of, of this conversation. I personally have already learned so much more uh, it, from this journey, and the the main realization is the more I am open to these practices and open to different, you know, mindsets and, and, and thoughts around these different ideas, the more I can hear, you know, and, and the more self-aware that, that I, I kind of describe it as you feeling just hyper aware and it, it blows my mind. It's almost daily where it's, wow, like how, like I was not seeing, you know, a year ago I was not seeing things like this. And it's like, mm-hmm, and it, mm-hmm. it was all there, right? It's just to your point, you need to be, you need to be able to, to silence your mind a little bit so you can see these things. Mm-hmm. But what happens after that, you know, being hyper aware is like what I have clients who like, they've done 15 years of therapy. They're like, I know I'm an asshole. I know I'm selfish <laughs> and I know I'm so critical of everybody. So what, what happens when we're just hyper aware? Like, okay, we've opened up the space to be aware. And what do we do next? I think that's a big yeah, it's great. thing. Is, you know, it's, the, it's the power of now and then. You know, it's like, okay, I'm here. I noticed this. It, so having the awareness that you have all these narratives that have been cooked into you by transference, right? Growing up with mm-hmm. your drunk father and your overly loving mother and your, you know, drug addict nanny and whatever, mm-hmm. all the ways, or your third grade swim teacher who didn't pick you up when you needed that one little 
underwater moment that you had that put you off yeah. for years, yeah. you know, whatever. Yeah. It's just reinforced over and over and over again. So we need to create the workspace in the mind, right? Opening up the workspace is being hyper aware, but then the cleaning up process needs to be the implementation of these practices. Okay. I noticed that I've drifted. I noticed that I have, that I've gone into, you know, a millisecond, a couple of seconds, a few minutes and I've indulged in these thinking patterns. I know that my cortisol levels are boosting. I know that I'm inflaming my body. How can I reframe? How can I offset that? It's what you do when that happens. It's not even why is this happening so much so. Yeah. You know, it's like, what do you do when that happens? And that's the, that's the real work is the doings, the practice that reconnect you back to your being, you know, because being hyper aware is, it's a step one, right? To become aware like, oh shit, I do have all these broken pieces. But then what happens next? How do you implement the work in the daily, um, you know, in and out, Yeah, getting your coffee and having your barista, don't put as much foam as you usually like, or coffee's a little cold or you know, he's looking at you because you can give a tip or, you know, sure. whatever. There's so many ways that we can become triggered by people or we can trigger people. But how do we apply the work in the moment by moment awareness? And that's the real magic sauce. Yeah, no, I agree. I 100% agree. And I think that's a good um, segue into, you know, a lot of our, our podcasts really are to, you know, get into the practices that you do on a daily basis so that we can provide a little bit of inspiration and, and just practical tips for people to get started in these, these various practices. So mm-hmm. just doing the work um, on your side, like what are some of the non-negotiables in, in your life on a, on a daily or weekly basis that, you know, have to be there? Um, for you to feel great. Thank you for this question. I love that word non-negotiables because I, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I always ask that same question to, to friends and, and clients and students. Um, non-negotiables for me is wake up, go into child's pose, gratitude practice, and it could be as simple as, oh, wow, I, I'm here. Cool. This is great. Oh, I have this body. Or thank you for this sweet bed that I have or this amazing studio apartment that I have in East Village. Or it could be grand, grander things, mm-hmm. small or big, doesn't matter as long as you're, you know, exercising the gratitude muscle. Because therefore you're boosting all the, the neurochemistry associated with positivity. And then you're lower inflammation in your body, right? Which is what we want. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I go into an intention. Um, today I'm wiser, I'm kinder. I'm sexier, I'm more compassionate, I'm, you know, um, more forgiving, courageous, beautiful, abundant, patient, funny, more equanimous. And I always close with that one because I think that's uh, flexibility is what I'm really looking for, right? Emotional and spiritual flexibility. Do you, and then, do you have, huh? just, to, just to interrupt you there, do you have, is it usually the same set of intentions or how often? Yes. Okay. Yeah, 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 exactly. It just usually, it not perhaps not in the same order, but it's usually all of these. Like, you know, can I really live with my, can I, you know, be upgrading myself as just like how my, 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 you know, genes are changing, how my skin is shedding, how my nails and hair are growing. Like, how could I keep up this process of evolution at a spiritual and psychological level? So I usually just 
you know, keep riffing off the same words. And then, um, you know, I took refuge in Nepal with uh, my teacher. Okay. So then I do uh, a practice of, of taking refuge on the Buddha Dharma Sangha. And then I repeat four different mantras. Um, and there's a couple of them who they are secret and a couple of them I can share. It's the Tara, the green Tara mantra, okay. uh, which is Om Tare Tutare Ture Soha. And there's so many ways people can translate that, but the way I translate it and I, get, I tell people about it is may all beings everywhere be free of mental and physical suffering. Mm, love it. That's it. Simple. So I repeat that. Um, and then I repeat a couple other ones that were, that were, um, they were given to me in transmission. Okay. And then um, I go to the bathroom. I do my thing, drink some water. And I usually will drink some water and I'll eat. Uh, I'll eat. I'll take like a turmeric supplement and an ashwagandha. And we'll, I mean, there's depends. I usually, I have a cabinet full of things. So I kind of just open up and, you know, have that, like, you know, what do I need today? Yeah. And I'll pick up a couple of the things, but the turmeric and ashwagandha are usually like there. Okay. Uh, part of the morning piece. And sometimes I'll cut up a lemon and I'll squeeze it into the water. And then I will sit down to meditate and it's an hour, non-negotiable every morning. Hmm. And then I go out for a run or I go to the gym. And at the gym is usually like, if I'm at the gym, it's usually just like a two mile run really fast to just get me sweat. And then I'll do weights and, you know, a couple of different things and I'll steam. Um, but if I'm going, if I'm running outside, it can be anywhere from like five to eight, sometimes longer runs than that. Sure. Um, yeah. And then close the day with a meditation practice. And that varies, right? Because I'm in such a deep state of meditation when I'm serving my clients throughout the day. And so that's exercising the meditation that my, it's, it's really gifting me the strength to exercise my skill to pay attention and supporting that attention with a intention of compassion and wisdom. Yeah. So I'm really like opening myself up and expanding myself so much in these sessions with clients and students. Um, and even last night, guiding meditation for 200 people and having the literally having to drag myself out of there after I had dinner, you know, because the, the, the expansion to then coming back was like, whoa, that was that, um, you know, that, that, I don't even know how to put it. It's like the hangover yeah, yeah, of sure. being so open, you know? Um, but anyways, and then the nighttime, same thing. I will uh, meditate. Um, I will. And then what I do at night is the go through what happened in the day. Oh, so key. Yeah. Which I think it ties into what you said there, what you asked me to, to, to reflect mm. before coming into the call. Uh, what are the reflective practices that I have? Uh, so just going through the day and like asking, am I holding any tension about today? Um, is there an air of, of, is there an exchange that happened today that I can open up to more self-compassion or that I can gift compassion? Is there an area, is there something that I could sprinkle a little forgiveness or self-forgiveness into? Okay. And then I will also um, then um, go through a gratitude practice, you know, and gift myself the rejoice of like, that was good, stuff, You know, you held that door for that, that lady. That was sweet. You bought that coffee. That was nice. You bought that extra coffee. That was nice. You let someone, you know, use your Metro card 
um, that was sweet. You know, you, you know, did your work with your clients from a, from a, a place of wisdom and you, you didn't, you know, get carried away, um, in, you know, gifting, right. The helpers high throughout the day, it's something so important for us to, to know the services, the, the most supreme way of transformation. Um, and then I think that's really what's up. That's like, that's the equation for me. It's what a day is like. So slightly different from the bullet days, I'd imagine. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh my God. The bullet days. It was like a Newport, uh, Newport 100s walking to work. I used to live in the West Village. Okay. And I'll be walking to work, smoking a uh, Newport mental 100s, you know, with the full power, all black look, being like, bitch, get out of my way kind of vibe. <laughs> walking to the office. I would have this like massive baguette my assistant would have gotten for me already. And if it wasn't there when I arrived, ooh, you knew she was going to get an email being like, what's up? Yeah. You're late. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and a triple lot, triple shot yeah, tri- vanilla latte from, from Starbucks. <laughs> exactly. You know what I mean? And I would be eating that, scrolling through the news, listening to music, and I would take a break from the sandwich to step outside of my balcony and smoke a cigarette and come back to it. <laughs> wow. Literally. Yeah. Wow. I love, I love that we <laughs> oh have a contrast. It's amazing. Uh, <laughs> oh my God. What about you? What are your non-negotiables? Is that okay to ask? Yeah, no, of course. Um, okay. I mean, my main non-negotiable is really the morning. Um, and I okay. find uh, I have a lot of similar kind of routines uh, that you have as well. I mean, one being mm-hmm. getting up, doing a little bit of breathing, so some breath work. Mm-hmm. Um I do some journaling as well. Same, same type of thing. Like, you know, what am, what am I grateful for? Or, you know, what do I want to focus on uh, today? Yeah. Not, and not, yeah. A, not a work to do list. Like what, do, like today, for example, you know, this podcast mm. and there's a couple other phone calls. Like my thing was, I want to be fully present and, and bring all the energy and passion that I can to these conversations. Like that was what I want to yeah. you know, focus on. And then, um, I usually, usually five days a week head to the gym and for me, it's, it's just, it's getting to the gym from there. It might be a run. It might be boxing. It might be weights. It doesn't matter. Just get in there and move. Yeah. And, um, th- there's a, st- a steamer at this gym as well. And that I have found has been really meditative for me just spending, um, you know, maybe f- five, 10 minutes in there and, and like physically and emotionally kind of sweating out the whatever is bottled up in my body. Yes. Yes. So yeah, then that's it. Shower. Then I'm, you know, off either into the city or out of the share space that I'm working out of and uh, away you go. And I try in the day to really stay hydrated. Um, eat as, as, as clean as, as possible, but not like to your point, not just not be so hard on myself. If, uh, you know, if I need those Oreo cookies, it's, you know, it's, it's okay <laughs> to have some Oreos <laughs> as long as that's not like 90% of your days, right? Exactly. Oh my God. So true. I always get, always give my clients, um, out of 21 meals that we commit to eating uh, in seven days, I always tell them three meals you can fuck up. Yeah. You know, three meals, you can sit down and have the, the carrot cake with the whipped cream, you know, yeah. or have the glass of wine or eat the things, you know. For sure. Amazing. Well, last question for you is I want to respect your time. And I feel like we could chat for, for hours on these topics. 
you're so sweet. Oh my God, I can talk to you forever. <laughs> um, the last question is just given where all these mental fitness practices are are heading and there's a little bit more you know, information and I think a little bit more of a, a trend to, to explore this. Like what, what excites you most about where we're heading with all of this amazing work? Mm. Meditation being like the new brush your teeth kind of thing. Yes. You know, like you can't leave the house without. Yes. You have to pour your mind through a filter every single day. If you want to live in this modern day, there's no way that you can't uh, go out you know, and reinforce, re-traumatize yourself with every step. You know, it's like, it's, that's the old paradigm. <laughs> Our parents did that. Our grandparents did that. That's, bye, thank you. But like today, I choose to do, you know, something different. So pour your mind through a filter every day. I think the brushing your teeth and, and uh, is the, mm-hmm. meditation is the new brushing your teeth. You know, it's like, you need to do that. And I also think like how so many people are curious and are wanting to just feel better. And not that one hit feel better, but like stable, Yeah, you know, it's like, ah, I want exactly, you know, and people are so aware that like, what I'm really, you know, excited about is that like these mental health statistics are becoming the norm. Mm -hmm. You know, people are becoming aware that like the world health organization said that by 2020 casually in two years, if we don't do something about it, Depression and anxiety would be the number one disease burden on planet Earth. Yeah. So I'm really excited about the fact that people are becoming aware that um, we got to do something about it. And I'm also very excited about the fact that people are open to share about mental health as much as they are open to share about physical health. And I'm just really excited that um, we get to have this talk right now. I agree. You know, it's so <laughs> I agree. And I, you know, I can't thank you enough uh, for myself and everyone in, in our community over here for, you know, being so open and, and vulnerable as well in this, in this conversation and sharing, sharing your path and sharing you know, some words of wisdom and practices. You know, there's, uh, like I said, personally, you know, I've already come out with a ton of notes on things that I'd like to try. And, and our goal with this is always to, if we can, if we can connect with, excuse me, with one person or one piece of your story or one of your practices, then, you know, hopefully that, that person will, will kind of pass that on and we can, we can make this exponential and get people out there feeling, feeling good. I mean, there's no, we've got, we've got nothing. All we have is time, right? So let's make, Mm -hmm. let's make today the best it can be and feel good, amazing mentally and physically. So thank you for contributing to that journey. Oh my God. Thank you so much for creating this platform and giving me the opportunity to share. And, um, what you said to just echo that it's like in the United States, there's a, there's a a research that shows that one out of four people don't have anyone to talk to. So if you're listening to this podcast and any of this stuff that we shared landed for you, that it resonated for you, please share with one person, you know, go out there and just call that friend or post it on a social media. I don't know, whatever it is, just know that statistic. It's really scary to walk into a room and know that one out of four people don't have anybody to talk to. That's yeah, scary. Very scary. So whatever landed for you, go out there and, 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 um, and, and share. But you know what? Use the social media, listen to the podcast, do the thing, but then reach out to one person. Yeah. Take it, take it offline. Love it. Love it. I support that message. 
Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much.